Did we get you out of bed? Dan, did we get you out of bed? No, no, I'm fine. Okay. okay. <laughs> that was Jeff's witty comment. <laughs> 50. It's Jeff and Dave from the Two Half Squads. Hello, Guess, Jeff and Dave from the Two Half Squads. How are you guys been? We've been great. Guess who's in the broadcast foxhole with us today? Rick Spilkey. Wow. You're good. And? and? Um, Bob. That's, That's correct. Right. Very good. We're going to send you a prize. You're really doing well. Uh, well, right. and we'd like to welcome you to the to the one and only podcast in the world dedicated to the greatest game in the world, Advanced okay. Squad Leader. Oh, okay. I would have gone without that. I would have gotten that one wrong. Yeah, you would have. <laughs> yes, you would have. We'll cut that out of the show. Okay. Yeah. And we have all these guests in the studio tonight, and we'll probably skip the banter unless Dan wants to tell us about his life. No, that's okay. My life is pretty boring. I know you and I talked about how exciting gar- um, Garbage Day is. It is. Garbage Day is big exciting. We just had that today, as a matter of fact. <laughs> yeah, mine, mine, I was going to be gone celebrating my 25th anniversary with my wife this week, and so I had to put out the, the recycling bin, like, you know, 12 hours early and risk getting a notice from the village that I violated the village policy, which made Garbage Day extra exciting. Cause you the are a wild man. I know. You're <laughs> crazy. The thrill of possibly getting caught doing it Garbage-y early anyway. and getting a warning notice. <laughs> Trashy. But, uh, yeah. but uh, no, I, Dan was like, he's retired. He was saying, you look forward to Garbage Day. And I said, I look forward to it just because it's like a fresh start to the week. You know? Yeah, well, we had to put ours out last night because... Uh, the, the garbage men, we had snow here last week on Garbage Day, so they canceled Garbage Day, and they moved it to Saturday. So the last time they did that, the garbage men came the next Wednesday at like 5 a.m. in the morning, and nobody had their garbage out. They just blazed down the street, going, this counts, this counts, <laughs> and left the garbage when everybody put it out at 6 o'clock in the morning. And now the bears are starting to wake up, so you got to be careful. Like, if you leave your garbage out, you, you know, you can find an unpleasant surprise in it if you go out there and find mama bear, three cubs. You really get bears there? Oh, yeah, yeah. Wow. In New York City? No, he lives in New I'm Jersey. Now we're outside of New York City. I live in Northwest Jersey. Mountains. You know, I, like mountains. I think I've read cool. that New, New Jersey is the wealthiest state in the country. They have the highest income per capita in the state of New Jersey. Isn't that true, Dan? You're a wealthy guy? Yeah, yeah. I'm just I'm big wealthy. Yeah. Huh. We're, we're up here in the mountains just trying to get water, you know? Oh, we've got water. Oh, you get it from the melting snow. <laughs> no, no, no. There's no local swill. You have to get you it from the bears. Uh, the bears control all the water rights in that area. I heard. There's a big, exactly. Uh, they do. You yeah. know, if they go near your well, it's, you, know, you can't get water. The freshwater bear lobbyists are pretty pretty strong coalition. Oh, you got to um, use the hand pump then. Yeah, no. So you got to be careful with them. They're, they're tricky. You know, those bears can uh, they sneak up on you. Oh. But do they play squad leader? Like a whole lot of noise. Oh, teach one to play advanced squad leader. There yeah. you go. Yeah, well, that's that's my next option. You know, I'm, I had a couple of the younger ones to get started kids started, and uh, hopefully grow them into it. Well, where Jeff and I live, it's we have a lot of dangerous squirrels and bunny rabbits. Yeah, very dangerous. <laughs> well, they eat the beans. Well, the bunny yeah. rabbits go after my beans. Oh man, we can't have gardens up here. The deer eat them. The deer, yep. Wow. Yeah, the, the Al-Qaeda of the animal world. 
Wow. <laughs> wow. They just come like screaming out of the side of the woods trying to kill you. It sounds dangerous. I love it. Yeah, yeah it's, um, it's one of the thrills of living in the country out there, you know? So how did you get to playing... Uh, well, maybe you haven't always lived in the country. How'd you get to playing squad leader? Uh, well, when I lived uh, down in Fort Lee, in, in like Jersey near New York City, um, I picked up a squad leader when it was the Purple Box, and I had nobody to play with. The guy that actually bought the box, the game, uh, he didn't want to play it, so he gave it to me. And I was searching around, and I found this guy in the old General Wantads. Oh, yeah. There was a guy, uh, Dave Lehman, that uh, he used to play ASL. He lived up in Oradell, which was about a half hour from me. And he was looking for a squad leader opponent, so I jumped in and I started playing with him. And he was doing play testing for the early ASL, ASL early squad leader stuff, you know, when they were starting to put out the uh, ASL. He switched over to ASL. And he was doing play testing. If you look at the first Yanks, he was a 10-3 leader. Some of the guy named Andrea Cantatori. They were the guys that used to play ASL up here. So, they were, you know, that was how I got into playing. And how did you get into writing about ASL? I mean, you apparently excelled at playing ASL and got to a point where you wanted to write about it. Am I correct? Well, what happened was I was uh, I wasn't I didn't have a lot of opponents. It was just Dave Lehman, and he, he was uh, you know he was busy doing nothing basically. He was always unemployed. And, you know, he worked sometimes part time as a printer, but you know he was he had uh, his wife had a business doing green. Uh, products that uh, they were selling. Even back in the day, they were like, you know, green people. He didn't play that often. So I was trying to get, I was praying for the Japanese to be published. That was my thing. That was the reason I was playing squad leader in ASL. They just about to publish the Japanese. I actually had play test copies of the squad leader Japanese. And I was all psyched up to get them published and, you know, get the Japanese out there. And I said, oh, we're going to stop and switch to ASL and go back to Germans and Russians again. And I was like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> so I started, I started writing, you know, and that was, you know, designing, actually. I started, you know, trying to design scenarios for the Japanese, and then, like, you know, as ASL started, I got into that right at the start, and I said, well, it's going to be much better squad leader, you know, having a rule book in one place, and, and so we, I just kind of And we had interviewed you before about um, the uh, Denant and other things that you've been producing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we know that you wrote an article for Fire for Effect about yes, red barricades, and that is why That's Rich why. and Bob are here tonight. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, Rich called me up about that. I was like surprised that anybody actually still had the copy of it. So <laughs> I had the only living copy. No, I have mine. Auctioning it off on eBay for thousands. <laughs> I have mine also. So there's two of us in this room. Yeah, Dan, I would never throw yeah. out anything that you would write. <laughs> <laughs> Never. How did you come up with the idea? Well, I was playing uh, this guy named Brian Sealski first, but I was playing him in the game of Red Barricades, the campaign game. And I just looked at the map and I was like, oh man, I really don't want to play, you know, like 40 scenarios of like slogging through these factories. So I just said, well, what can I do to, you know, to, to not not do that? I said, well, you know, the tanks that use Red Barricades generally die quickly. 
You know, they, they get overrun by like some crazed Russian coming out of a sewer or, you know, hidden in a pile of rubble or something like that. So I said, well, let's use them when they're not hidden in the sewers and stuff like that. So let's try them on the first day. And the only really ground that's open is over by the river there. So it, I started logically looking at it, what are my objectives going to be for the first day? And I said, well, you know, the commissar's house is doable if you load half tracks up and you can get them through the front line because it seemed that on that side of the board, the Russians sort of thinned it out and they just put like a line of guy and it'd be that will hold the Germans off. But I thought if you bought like 12 or 13 tanks and a bunch of guys in half tracks, you should be able to break through that. Hmm. And, you know, I tried it against him and it worked really well. I mean, on the first day, I captured the commissar's house and it's from the east of the factories. And, uh, he was, you know, sort of like befuddled by that. You know, he didn't, uh, didn't really know how to handle it. He didn't, didn't really see any danger in it. He thought it was kind of stupid, you know, and he still held all the factories. And I just, on the second day, I went around behind him and he still didn't see anything wrong with it. And then when I kept the board edge open, I just joined up and isolated all the factories. Basically the same thing Rich did, but Rich did it a lot quicker. You know, he, uh, he did it cleaner and he, you know, did some changes to the stuff that I suggested and it worked out really well. Uh, I don't think Bob was looking at that, you know, type of thing. And to tell you the truth, I don't think a lot of guys do when they're playing red barricades. They tend to think it's going to be a factory fight. You know, and if you take them out of that element, you can, uh, you can make it, in, you know, a different game. It's, yeah. It's not a factory fight. Those guys can just die on the vine. Yeah. So Dan, I'd like I'd like to take a three steps backwards for a second because um, you've uh, you know described the uh, tactics generally, but we actually have the Red Barricades map out here, and we want to encourage the listeners to break out the Red Barricades map and lay out the full thing in its full glory. And Bob and I are going to talk about it a little bit here because we we spent months and months playing this thing out. And indeed, I totally. Yeah, yeah, I got it. I got it in front of me here too. So if you want to, you know, I can answer anything you need to. Yeah, and I totally, uh, you know, read your strategy. And yes, I did reach out to you by email and by phone. I even flew to New Jersey. You might recall, and uh, we couldn't get together because of the snow, but we tried. Yeah. And, and so I sing your praises to high heavens because I would have never thought of that strategy on my own. Uh, the only credit I deserve is for keeping your uh, November seventh, nineteen ninety three. Fire for Effect article <laughs> in my archives, and uh, and then, but you know, here's I where the two here's where the two half squads come in. They had you on the program, I don't know, a couple months back, and of course, I listen uh-huh. religiously to every single two half squads podcast. I haven't missed a single one, and so I knew that. I all. And and so then I, um, you know, reached out to Jeff and Dave and asked for your contact information because they had it, you know, since they had just recently uh, had you on a show. But if if you wouldn't have been on that program, I wouldn't have known how to reach out to you. Yeah, yeah. No, it was, uh, it was, it was, you know, it was fun talking to them. It always is. I enjoy their shows. Um, like I said, I wait for them. You know, it's, uh, it's interesting to hear people talking about ASL. You know, I think there should be more, more of it. But, uh, unfortunately, I don't have the technical skills that Jeff has. You know, as I said, when I try to do something, I just take my iPhone and stand it up on, leave it up on a book and try to get my face in the picture most of the time. But, uh, yeah, no, you guys, uh, I know you're playing it for a while. I was looking forward to your Sunday update. 
Yeah, poor Bob doesn't even know anything about this, so this is all going to come as a surprise to him, Dan. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, and we're going to pause. Right, well, I'll let you guys talk, and I'll just listen. Yeah, we're going to pause here for a word from our sponsors, Dan, and we'll call you back in just a moment. Hey, Dave, this was a great idea to get out of the house for a change and come to this cool nightclub. This is really amazing, Jeffrey, except I am blinded by the disco ball. Well, as soon as your eyes get back and adjust to the light, look at those girls over there. Oh, I can see them now. Look at them, Jeffrey. Maybe they would go out with us. Do you think they would? They would never go out with us. What do we have to offer them? Maybe we could offer them some Bounding Fire Productions products. Oh, why, of course, Bounding Fire produces only the best thoroughly play-tested, action-packed scenarios and Mm -hmm. campaigns. Mm -hmm. They're committed to customer service. That's right. How could anybody possibly resist something from Bounding Fire Productions? They could not. We could give them our lines, you know, our pickup lines, like, um... Hey, girls, you want to go into the rubble? Oh, that's a good one, Dave. Or how about if I said, hey, ladies... Let's go to the high ground. Oh, that would work every time. We can put the Operation Cobra into work here now to help us achieve our objective, Schmidt, with these lovely ladies. (laughs) That's so good. That's really good, Dave. Good thinking. Maybe they would want to see our crucible of steel. Oh, especially mine. I think so. And by the end of the night, Poland would be in flames. Oh, it's going to be a hot one Tonight, Let's go over there and talk to them. I'm so excited. Uh, come on. Go ahead. Me. You, you, okay, go ahead. Hey, ladies. Uh, do you want to go maybe not just to the beach, but beyond the beachhead? Ow! Hello. Hello again, Dan. And we're back. How are you? Great. Uh, was your... Uh... Sponsors Ritter Krieg. Ritter Krieg. That's right. Can't beat Ritter Krieg. And they order they have free shipping still. Get all your ASL products at Ritter Krieg. Rich loves them. And Derek is great. He, he, he ships them quick too. Yes, he does. When he's not underwater. I do have those OBO <laughs> exactly. NBA cards from Ritter Krieg, which are pretty cool. Outstanding products. Yes, I have them too. And Bounding Fire, of course. Amazing stuff. I'm playing a Bounding Fire scenario this weekend. Hit. It's good. There, there's several bounding fire uh, scenarios in the uh, ASL Open coming up here in Chicago in about a week. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, one of the one of the things that makes bounding fire so great is Chaz Chaz Smith. He does yes, all. Yes, he's a good man. He's all a their research man. and he's one of their our, writing. our favorite men. We want him to call us. We're, we're waiting to hear from him. Yeah, we want him to call us. So let's all get together and and. Send him that energy to call the two half squats because we'd like to have him on the show. I'll send out that cosmic energy. That's right. In the meantime, we left off with red barricades. Yeah, let's Rich. get back to the show, back to the topic. Yeah, so thanks, guys. So Bob and I, you know, I think we were on the program, uh, not Bob and I, but the Forgs and I, Bill Forg and Will Forg, a couple months back, your listeners might remember. And Bob was my partner, but Bob couldn't make it that day mm-hmm. that recorded the show where we were practicing both that big, huge scenario that we played in preparation for the campaign game, and then we played the small Red Barricades campaign game, which I think is Roman numeral two or two. three, as yeah, I, I think recall, it's two. number two. And all of this was, you know, in preparation for practicing for the granddaddy, which is campaign game number three. Which is the whole thing. Which is the whole map, the whole thing, the whole nine yards. Mm-hmm. And so Bob and I decided that we would play that after all this practice we had had as partners, and we would be opponents in the big, grand <laughs> campaign game. 
And so, and we knew how the other guy thought because, you know, we had played together for months as the Russians. So we knew, you know, about the sewer movement and we knew about the importance of, you know, certain fortified locations and level two buildings that were strategic. We knew how difficult it was for tanks, German tanks to get through because, you know, so we both, you know, experienced the same thing. We both had similar opinions formed. So I knew it would be hard. I ended up being the German in our decision to play the big campaign game, and I knew it would be hard because he knew how I thought. And, uh, of course, well, I also knew I, how he thought. I took, I took the Russians because, you know, Ford, Bill Ford resigned, I thought, fairly early in the campaign game. So I thought it's got to be the Russians got to have a better chance than that, you know. Right. It didn't work out that way, but and we had read, <laughs> that was my thinking. Both of us had done research online, you know, because there's tons of after-action reports on Red Barricades Campaign 3 over the past, you know, 20 years or so that it's been out. There's tons of material to read. A lot of guys have played it multiple times. Uh, you know, so But Bob and I felt like we were pretty well prepared for guys who had never played that before because, again, we played the big scenario. We played the small campaign game. We even Play practiced. Knight's, yeah, knight we, scenario. We practiced a night scenario just to make sure we had that option for the Russian counterattack at night in our repertoire. We didn't want to let that hold us back, so we felt comfortable with the night rules to a certain degree. We, you know, we weren't afraid to go ahead and deploy that, and so we were both excited about it. I think we both were. I'll mm-hmm. speak for myself, but I think we both were fired up about it. Absolutely. We, and I read online like crazy. All the stuff that was out there, and pretty much everything I read was really all about, and if you got your Red Barricades map out, like I suggested, you just take a glance at it. You know, the, the Germans pretty much attack from the upper left-hand corner, which is the northwest corner. And they can attack um, anywhere from row, I think it's U1, hex U1, which is rubble, all the way down to, I think, hex A, is it A9 in the beginning? Yeah, something like that. Which yeah. is a little wooden building. Yeah, so it's like, like, that, it's like yeah. the corner, you know, the, the, the upper left-hand corner or the northwest corner. And what I think usually happens, based on all the material I read, is a big slog fest as the Germans try to get across this street that's in row D, is in dog, trying to get into the buildings across the street, across the railroad tracks, eventually on their way to the factories, which are beyond... Uh, the railroad tracks and the buildings that are after the railroad tracks. Then you get into the factories where the Russians have huge advantages in terms of being fanatic in buildings. And, uh, you know, if they don't cower, their conscripts have morale one higher than they normally do. And, you know, therefore they're better in close combat because they're stealthy and all that good stuff too. So it's, uh, but that's the traditional German attack where they try to get in there with pioneers and flamethrowers and demolition charges. And as I read that, you know, it became clear that that's really hard to do. And I was just really lucky that I was flipping through my old stuff, uh, and I came across the old FFE article. And one thing that I did good back 25 years ago, since I didn't have opponents to play with either, I just imagined that maybe someday I would play squad leader with somebody, because at that time I lived like in Minnesota and there were no players. I wrote on the front cover of all of those old magazines, like the highlights of the material, like a table of contents of what was in there. And I wrote Campaign Game Red Barricades on the front cover 25 years ago in 1993. And so I'm I can't. Say, you guys out there in Chicago are very organized. I, I have like this stuff piled up in a corner <laughs> <laughs> with like I, things crawling along the top of it. You know, it's just like. I had taken my articles about all the scenarios from the general or all the critical hits and all the, or the um, magazines, fanzines. 
Um, and I would go to the scenario card and I would write a little coded like um, in contact issue to on the card. So if I ever pulled that game card up, I could go, oh, there's an article in Fire for Effect and one in the general. I better go back and reference those. And of course, often I never would bother going back anyway. <laughs> Just play ASL. You're over-organized. But yes, that's a little bit more organized, not as much as Rich. Well, bless you, Jeff, three times. Thank you. You don't have to go to work tomorrow. Have you? That's what my mom says. If you sneeze more than twice, you Ooh, don't have to go to work. you're officially sick. You get the day off. I officially love your mom. <laughs> so uh so anyway so i uh, came across i came across this article and it's on page 17 for all of you who have your fire for effect handy from 1993 but jeff did you say you posted this yeah i've uh i've got everything in pdf so i'll post that on the website so that everybody can download this stuff and take a look and follow along yeah, and I'm sure that the FFE guys will not sue you for copyright infringement after 25 years because I'm a lawyer and I could say that kind of thing, right? If they'd like to sue me, they're, I think they're, they're all dead. To. Okay. They're all dead? That's super. That's amazing. That's great. Yeah, I'm actually not a lawyer, but I play one on TV. But anyway, so on page 17 is Dan's article, and he calls it Bustin' the Barricati Day One. I love that name. Isn't it the Barricati? I thought I was saying it right. I call it the Barricati. I have no idea. Take a pick. Who cares? <laughs> and sure enough, I, got, I really wanted to talk. I want to talk through this. Dan described it uh, generally a few minutes ago in the opening remarks, but I really want to talk about it because it's fantastic. It is way more exciting than Dan made it seem. It's totally awesome. And so maybe Dan didn't want to brag, but it's really remarkable. And so I completely blew off the whole factory coming from the left-hand corner, upper left-hand corner thing. I hardly. I, I might have thrown a few units there just to touch a few wooden buildings just to grab some locations for future days. More, I think, coming south. But yeah, And I also went south a little bit, too. Yeah. But for the most part, I pretty much did nothing, and I think Bob was surprised to let him speak for himself. Oh, yeah. I mean, you basically went north, you know, which, of course, I had a whole bunch of stuff set up on, this, on the west side here, waiting for him to come across those tracks or try to cross the tracks, which he never did. I had fortified building locations, and I had a few up on the north side, but... So Not nearly enough to stop what he was doing. So one of the key things that Dan, there's just several, there's several things I just got to point out that are just really key. So Dan, if I don't describe it right, certainly you're there to correct me. But you were you were so phenomenal in your strategy. I, I think you deserve a lot of credit here. So first of all, he starts off by encouraging the the German, which is what I did. I did almost exactly everything he said, to put a smoke barrage in row or column. I think it's T. And he encourages yep, right next to the big factory. Yeah, and he encourages you to do that not as a normal smoke barrage, but as a uh, what do you call that when it's a straight line? A uh, it's it's not called, I forget the name. Line smoke barrage. A barrage. A barrage. Yeah, it's called. Barrage. So it's not the normal circle of seven yeah. counters. Yeah. It's a straight line of nine. So that completely blocks the line of sight if you're looking at your red barricades map. If you put a and in row T there next to the factory, the big factory. And all of his level two guys that might be in the building in hex uh, 06 and 07 and P6 that might be at level two locations, they can't see through the smoke. And then you enter everything. Uh, on The furthest you can go is hex U1 and, and, uh, and T0. But those are rubble. So infantry can enter into the rubble, but tanks cannot. And so that's another thing that he suggested. Don't buy infantry by AFVs, in fact, even by half-tracks. And Bob and I, I, I wasn't trying to fake you out, Bob, I really did feel that those would be stupid purchases in Red Barricades, 
half tracks, AFEs, because they they can't go anywhere. How are those going to win? They the get game? they get blown away very easily. They get killed in close combat by the Russians, or even if the Russians have a couple cheap anti-tank guns, they take them out readily. Or if they have Molotov cocktails, they take them out readily. They're really a bad buy. Plus, you have the chance of losing them at the end in the, in the refit phase if you roll a six. They're recalled. But <laughs> what worked in his favor was that I didn't have any AFV weapons sitting over here. So he was able to bring those half-tracks in, and there wasn't really much I could do about them, especially when he had them buttoned up. That's true. And, I, and you also didn't expect me to buy AFVs because you and I had discussed very thoroughly that mm-hmm. buying AFVs is a waste of And I truly felt that way until Dan's article mm-hmm. told me to do the opposite. And so, so it worked superbly for you. So the crux <laughs> of the whole thing is, and, and this is what I, why I really was attracted to Dan's strategy, was if you look at buildings, let's see, I'm looking here on the map here. If you look at, at buildings BB18. It's got the white square in it. <clears throat> yeah, it's a level yeah. two, it's a level two uh, four hex building. And then building AA25, which is a three hex multi-story building. Those two buildings are really the crux of the Russian defense. Uh, when Bob and I played that, those things were fortified up the wazoo. Yeah, uh, we even had the, guns sitting up there. We had guns on level two because they were fortified all the way up to level two. We had mines in front of them. I think we talked about that in our program with the Forgs. And it's really tough for the Germans to get anywhere near those things when they're fortified up the wazoo and and with heavy machine guns directed by nine negative two. Because all the leaders. terrain around is fairly open, mm-hmm. too. And the Russians just, and the, up, the Germans up, have a tough up. time. Get you know, through it. Great lines of sight to just about anywhere on the board. Oh, they're, they're, they're deadly lines of sight, especially if you get the, uh, the Germans around. So what attracted me about Dan's suggestion is he goes, blow off the factories, ignore them, don't even bother until long later on, and go straight for those buildings. But, you know, you're vulnerable when you do that, though, because, like I said, you can only attack through hex, like I said, U1 is as far... Uh, east as you can go in the beginning of the game, you know, to enter your units. And so the Russian, if he really wants to counter that, there really is an Achilles heel to it. If the Russian counterattacks, like on day two, and he cuts the German off from his friendly lines, you know, while while the German's racing to try to get back there to get those buildings, he can be cut off himself and be, what do you call that when they're cut off? They're uh, encirc- I- isolated, or- isolated. Isolated. Yes, they're isolated. Yep. That's the word. So there is an Achilles heel to it. And so I always tried to set up quite a few units over there just in case Bob did try a counterattack, but he he did not try that. Well, I, I tried it, but a very low level, and it was totally unsuccessful because there's just too much open ground to go through. Right, just like it's hard for the German to attack across the open ground and in reverse, it's hard right. for the Russian to go the other way too. So I love that because it didn't give Bob time to put mines in front of those buildings. It didn't give him time to fortify those locations and put up heavy machine guns up there. All of his heavy, big, powerful stuff was in the factories, which I was ignoring. I wasn't even trying to get those things. But to win, you still have to take the factories. Right, but I haven't gotten to right. that part yet. But absolutely, in the long run, you have to. Well, I think in the long run, you got to take the whole map, just about. On the first day, I think you yeah. got about to here, didn't you? I think I got to Which the. I think it's called the, chem- the chemist house. It's called the chemist shop. Oh yeah. It's uh, W10. That's. I think that's called the chemist shop. Is what I think it's called. Yeah, that was the that was the limit on the no, first that day. Was, that was over on early in the first day. Yeah, I think I got yeah, that on the first yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, very that. easily. Yeah, yeah. Then and then the second day, you kept going south. 
Right. So and I expected them to turn toward the building, toward the factories. Oh, right. So you're just sitting with your everyone waiting. Yeah. The, yeah. So in the long run, after about four or five, four or five days, yeah, down here, down. we were, um, you know, all the way down, almost to the uh, the gully area. What, what hexes are those approximately? The uh, number thirties, around a thirty thirty one. E twenty four. You were down. You were down by the last gully, the the D row. Yeah. And then I started turning, I guess that would be uh, west. west. Mm-hmm. And then I started basically encircling all the factories. One huge, giant, uh, enveloping maneuver. Okay. And so before Bob knew it, I think he finally was starting to understand on day five-ish that, like, you know, gobs of Russian units were about to be cut off. And if they're Too cut late. off, there's consequences in the campaign game on their like I don't know I don't know I've never done an actual yeah they become isolated yeah, and four, at four the end of the day happen, four things that happen when you're isolated go yeah. ahead tell them yeah ammo shortage yeah that's one well, the second one first thing is they lose all of their leaders all the leaders have to move out. They do. All their, le- all their leaders are required to attempt to escape. Well, yep. then who's left to so, rally so, them? So either they no die, one. either they die, <laughs> or they cow. escape. But either way, they're yeah. gone. That's so he's got like crazy. thirty-eight squads or whatever it was. It's <laughs> yeah. crazy. Yeah. Uh, without yeah. leaders, with one self rally a turn, maybe two. Well, on I think you get two, but pretty yeah. much that's we'll be two. <laughs> yeah, and, and a sniper. So, that, so, so, <laughs> so thing one is they're, they're they have ammunition shortage, but that's the least of their problems. Right. Thing two is all their leaders run away. Mm-hmm. Thing three is they can only set up within one hex of where they ended. Oh, that's right. they got to stay where they are. And thing four is you can't set up any of your reinforcements that you buy in an isolated area. Wow. So really... They're isolated. I virtually... I mean, I still had to go get those 38 squads, yeah. but I could do it in my own time, in my own leisure, whenever I felt like it. With within, does the game end after so many days or? Well, there's 20 whatever days. It shows here on your sheet. So you Bob. felt you had plenty to just go slow. There's plenty of time. Because once they how break. How many them, days is that? Like, do you know? Uh, I don't even know. Let's see, like, there's 14, 15, 30. 30 days. Yeah, and we ended after turn day yeah, after six. After a couple of days, they just reduced themselves to conscripts, and then the next time they disrupted, so you pick them off at Eulasia. That's about what happened. I mean, they they were just yeah. You yeah. know, he just he just kept pushing in and. At eventually, toward the end, we decided not even to finish doing anything over there because I think they were all broken. They were, they over were in the factories. So was, yeah. yeah, in the factories. In, in the isolated factories, they were basically shot and gone. You know. Now, the Russians still getting reinforcements. Right, but you right. had to set them up all on the south side. Can they attack to break through the Russian perimeter? They could try. Yeah, until he got his Stukas. So I knew that he would have to try that, <laughs> so I bought Stukas on the last turn because I knew that they'd be moving. And so I bought Stukas. Stukas? I don't know if yep. I'm pronouncing that yep. right. Yep, Stukas. That's right. Which are really awesome because, you know, they automatically pin the guy. Even if they don't cause any damage, they automatically pin. All right. So that stops them from moving. So poor Bob. I handed it to him. He was a tough guy. He hung in there. He lost hundreds of squads. I don't think I'm exaggerating. And I, yeah, I kept buying squads because that's what I needed. That's what I lost. I needed squads. So I bought squads. I mean, heaven, you know. Look at my Russian purchases. It's mostly mostly squads, you know, infantry. I couldn't afford much of anything else. I give Bob all the credit in the world. He hung in there, man, against, uh, he was a true Russian uh, commissar. Well, I always thought that there was still a, a possibility. <coughs> you know, you always think that until you basically lose everything. <laughs> you know, then the game's over anyway. Yeah. yeah. But knowing what we know now. You know, actually, early on, what's happening, they're, they're 
you were in trouble, you know. And the thing is, if the half tracks break through that first line in the day, in the first day, uh, you you got two half squads in them and a crew that can jump out and just gobble up locations to form a perimeter. That's what he did. And if and if you form your perimeter and you get it back to the board edge, he entered on the uh, the north board edge. That the Russians then have to cover a front line that's fifty hexes longer than it normally is. That's you know, exactly it's, it. Uh, it's almost impossible for them to cover the front line if they have to cover. Mm-hmm. You know, it's coming around from A nine all the way up to say, I think uh, Rich got to just short of that three hex house on the first day, right? Yeah, I don't remember if I got quite that far in the first day, but no, I don't I, think it's quite that far. I mean, it was probably here. But I, I, I think BB I got almost 18. up to that four hex building. BB nineteen. Yeah. What road is that? Yeah, I think you were about a four hex building. Yeah, that was that was the one. But I did exactly but what you said, Dan. And... I, I had all kinds of half tracks scooting around. They had half track. They had they had half squads. The two half squads <laughs> were out there. They <laughs> they hopped yeah. out. I had the cru- I had the crews hop out of to for to have an extra multi man counter. They were touching buildings, touching touching rubble because rubble and buildings are the strategic locations that count. Mm-hmm. And so and so yeah. when you measure your perimeter, you have to measure your perimeter at the end of the game based on the rubble and buildings that you control. So it's important for the German to touch and control as many of those locations as he can, so you can connect them together. That's why this is so different than a regular scenario. You really got to plan ahead. The guy down the, the river too to, to grab everything along the river, so the Russians couldn't trace to that. Right, exactly. Right, right. Yeah. I lost I lost the river within the second day, I think, or third. For right, sure. yeah, because the half tracks could easily cruise down there and again abandon mm-hmm. and, and just start touching touching uh, hexes. Because the board edges are also important. The stone right. and rubble locations are important, and the board edges are important. So you're constantly touching stuff, uh, you know, with your multi-man counters to control them. And that's what forms the perimeter. And so it's very important for the Russian to stay in touch with his friendly lines so that encirclement doesn't happen or that isolation doesn't happen, just like it's important for the German to stay in touch with his friendly lines so isolation doesn't happen to him. So you're always in danger of the other guy cutting you off. It's a little bit of a cat and mouse, and you got to watch that. But that's what I like yeah, again about the, the campaign got, game. they got three houses down along the river. That if they stay in them, they can trace a... A straight line to one of their other hexes, they can screw the Germans up with their perimeter. So you want to grab them early on. You don't want to let them keep them. Oh, he grabbed them early. He, he grabbed them. I don't think the first day, but by second day, he had the whole the whole green section on the map. So I didn't really tell Bob about you, Dan. You were my secret weapon until way deep into the game. Maybe maybe the last about the last day. One I of think. the last days I admitted, <laughs> and I told him about your existence. Well, you, wow. you, you told me you were talking about with somebody else. You always said that, you know, but he didn't say who it was, nor what strategy he had obtained from him. Probably said it was either Jeff and I. So you would think, oh, those guys don't know anything. <laughs> no problem. Yes, I kept you a secret, Dan. You were my secret weapon. Well, I, you know, there was some there was some discussion about this on the old uh, uh, the ASL mailing list when it first came out. And Tate Rogers had claimed that he could set up a defense that would stop it. And I was like, yeah, you can. I mean, if the Russian sets up a defense, he can stop any kind of armored push through there. You know, by buying the big anti-tank guns and HIP and them, you know, you could do a lot of stuff. But I always put that if he did that, and you saw you have to put all of your fortifications on the map when the, the thing starts. So you're going to see any anti-tank ditches that he buys and trenches and such. You just go down the board edge. Uh, the 
West Portage. Don't try to cross Tamiyanana Street and the railroad tracks. Just go straight down the board edge and expand your perimeter down the board edge the first day. Right. So then on the second day, you can enter all the way down the board edge. Yeah, if you set up like crazy to stop that tactic, then you wouldn't be set up very well to, to stop the standard attack from the northwest corner. Right. And that would weaken right. the yeah, factories. So knowing what we know, yeah. uh, if I were to play this again and I were the Russian... It would be hard to defend both of those things adequately. It is well, that, was, that was my initial thought was to stretch the Russians because oh yeah, you know, everybody that I'd seen that they would just you know say oh it turned into a slog in that northwest corner and it was like for three days or four days or five days the the Germans would just be trying to, to crack that little egg in the corner there. You know, and the one time I played it, I played it as the Russians. Uh, on turn six, I launched a 90-squad night human wave attack. <laughs> you got lucky, you know. I could never catch Rich without an attack chip. He always was attacking. Yeah. Well, well he, he took the second day there. off. I took the second day off, which Dan I chewed me out about. To do, and he, he... Dan almost fired me. He almost fired me as the commander. <laughs> after, after, after. We, we oh, argued about that for days. Like, no, no, no. He was so he mad pushed, at me. He was pushing. He was like, no, I want to build up this, man. I want to be I didn't always agree with Dan. Ninety no. percent of the time I did, but at the ten percent I didn't agree with him, he let me have it. Oh uh, <laughs> yeah, I was just uh, I was saying this is you know, giving you the other the other opinion, you know. I mean just try to put in front of you options. You know, and you chose your options and you know eventually it comes down to the guy playing the game. You know, I mean you were playing the game and you played it well. Were you, you know, I don't know whether you rolled well and valued well, but it, it, seemed to, it seemed to work. So were you guys emailing each Your other? Or talking on the phone? Both. Yeah. Wow, they had radio that. communications, too, going. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you, you, All you, I had was a radio yeah, that, that broke it, most of the time. Bob, Bob, did you... I'm not Bob. Some, uh, yeah, Dan, did you send those pictures to everyone, or did you send them to me? I sent them to you and Jeff and Dave. They should be in your email. Okay, because they were all kinds of, like, he even, like, I don't know how you did that, Dan, but you sent, they were pictures of the map, but they weren't just pictures of the map. They had, like, these little, uh, like, his own hand-drawn arrows and cartoon-like bubbles to show me, do this, don't do that, attack here. Oh, that's what he was sending you? Yes, he was sending me actually graphical, physical pictures. Look on your email and see if you guys got that. Yeah, we got it. In the half-squads? Yeah. I sent it tonight, just before you guys go. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, forward it to me so I get to see it. Yeah. But I mean, he, we, believe me, we were analyzing. You, you were up against two minds. You weren't just against me. You were against, you know, Dan and me. So it was a little unfair. Well, I thought it was yeah. kind of even because I was online a lot, checking a whole bunch of suggestions. All right. <laughs> so then, Dan, how did you think up this strategy originally? You just th- looked at it and thought it up? Yeah, well, I was trying to think of a way to avoid, as the Germans, getting into that. Northwest corner fight. Yeah, you know, that's, I was, yeah. I, I figured tanks would be the way to do it somehow, and then I looked at the map, and I said, the only area on this whole map that you can use tanks the first yeah. day is where you come in right. close to the river in that area there. There's just, yeah. just one wall that you got around the front of the factories. And I thought that if you put a barrage of smoke down along that big factory there, nothing can see you. You know, once you get up mm. by that... L-shaped house at the corner in uh, X9. Uh, you're sort of invisible to anybody in the factories after that. Yeah, right. You know, and it it just uh, 
from there, I was like, okay, well, how, how am I going to get guys up there fast? And then half-tracks came into mind, you know? With being able to deploy 10% of your guys in half-tracks, uh, you know, I had the guys... And normally, you would never buy half-tracks in Red Barricades because... No, you're not going to they're, 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 they're cheap, but why would you need them? You need them they, for transport. And, and, the, and the little wimpy 45L anti-tank guns that the Russians have have like an 11 to kill against oh, a yeah, one armor. Right. So did the half-tracks enter the road, or you said the road? Well, you can't enter no, the road. No, no, you can't enter the road. You have to enter here. So no. you enter in... Uh, just in front of the road. Uh, that's S1. Yeah, S1. Yeah. S1 and R, R0. Yeah. Sure. So they have to enter there, and they immediately start going... Um, I guess that would be south yeah. and east. In the edge of the smoke right. barrage. And, 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 some, and some of them go into the green area along the river, like we said, and they abandon. They start touching the green hexes and the locations on that edge. Others of them try to capture anything that's not guarded, and if they can get all the way up to the level two buildings way in the back, then you should go for it. Yeah, I think you did this on the second or third day. It took me to the second or third day to get yeah. up to the, uh, it was that AA, what is that, or BB18? BB18. BB18. So do we think this whole camp was this camp? What game is this? RB three? Yes, game three. Yeah, the big one. Is it? Do we think it's broken now with this strategy? I don't think it's no. broken. I no. think it's, you know you, you can find a guy that's going to find something to beat it. You know, it's just that it, it's an option for the Germans to avoid getting into that factory slog. If you're playing somebody like Bob that has never seen this, you know, it's it's very difficult for somebody to conceptually grasp the fact that all those people in the factories are going to die. You know, because that on like turn, what is it, turn four, Rich, when you get the whole uh, west edge of the board that you can enter? Yeah, I can't remember so exactly, but, but uh, it, there, there, there does come a time when you can enter, I think I wrote it down on my sheet, let me look here. Let's see here. Just yeah, to realize, again, I can't believe the leaders have to leave. That's just too brutal. I mean, it, you know, there's piles of broken yeah, guys. The first uh, three days, you can only enter down as far as hex A9 on the west hand so- west side. Right. Then the next three days, you can go down to A22, which is about halfway through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And then it, it takes it's all that the... big building there. And then eventually you can enter on hex A1, which is, I think, on like the seventh day, but we never got to the seventh day. It was over after day six. And it was once they can enter down to that big building, they push down past that... Uh, to the last big building on, what is it? Hang on, the name of it is, yeah. Sormo Kanumakaya. Sormaska. Yeah. It's like a big one, two, three, four, five, six hex building on the west side of the railroad tracks, just on the, uh, the south map. Right. Once, you, once you come in past that, you swing around the back of the factories and you link up with the guys that, that came around the front side. And That's what he did. That big hat. What's that? That's what he did. Yeah. If you can get across the, the, the street there down at that end, uh, you head to that big factory in the back, and once you take that, everybody inside inside the other factories, are gonna, they, they're in a world of hurt. Yep. You know, the Russians, like, you, you take those two buildings that, that we were talking about earlier, um, yeah, and that's the thing I'm trying to just say. Just you know, the, the listeners just need to understand that a campaign game is just so different than a scenario. You got to think yeah. way ahead. You got to think days ahead. You got to use your points. And, and Bob and I are both posting with Jeff and Dave our purchasing, so you can see what we bought each day and mm-hmm. how we try to conserve points. Because if you buy stuff in reserve, you save a point, 
which doesn't sound like much, but man, that, that adds it up adds in the up. end, and you really got to be as you got to really spend your points wisely. And if you you know put your stuff right on the board, it costs more. Yes, you get it right on the board, but it costs more, and in the long run, you're going to lose if you don't spend your points. If you spend them that aggressively, I think you got to be more conservative and know when to put them in reserve and save those points because that adds up over time. So again, that's I what I like about Rich campaign did a games. Great job on that too. He did. Uh, he saved points almost every turn. You know, and he was using them to put the reserve guys down when you first enter, so the Russians couldn't counterattack. Right, because reserve guys can't be played unless the enemy gets within three hexes of them. So the reserve guys just sit there and they oh, can't do anything. It's but a defense for the right, attacker. Right. Exactly. So I, I set up tons of reserves. Bob but, couldn't yeah, tell. Yeah, a bunch of them over there. And, and hexes yeah. uh, U1 and T0, like I was talking about, those, those two rubble two hexes. Because if Bob would have taken those, he would have cut off my entire army. Right. So I set up a ton of reserves there. They didn't have to do anything, but if he came near them, they'd spring to life. And the Russians, Russians did the same thing. I mean, they set up reserves in specific places to where if the Germans got too far inland or too too close to them, they spring to life and then take some action so they could help with the with the war effort. And if and if they don't, they're just cheaper to buy and you can use them next time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then Rich, the one day he took that big rubble pile right in the center of the the north map there and cut the factories in half. That that is even. Further screw, I think, that uh, Bob wasn't able to re- set up a line between. He actually made it into two pockets, I think he did, didn't you, Rich? Something yes. like that. I don't remember exactly, but something like that. My head was spinning. Bob says yes? Yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was something like that. Cut yeah. through somewhere and he had two pockets. Of... Well, my wife basically isolated all this area. Yeah, the, the factories mm-hmm. center. And that's deadly at the end of the day. Sewer movement couldn't help. I, I tried it. Out or um, or? I can't remember exactly where, but there weren't enough manhole covers to, to come up at a decent spot. So I, I never really was happy with it. Um, I'm not really lucky with sewer movement. Yeah, you can go the wrong way. You can. <laughs> I can get lost. You can come yeah, up th- when you don't want to yeah, come up. I think I got lucky on one occasion, and that gave him a bad taste in his mouth. Because you know, remember we had just got done playing the Russian. I've, and, I've done sewer and, movement before. Yes, in and, other we, games and we and used sewer movement like crazy against the Forgs and drove those guys nuts. You remember oh, yeah. that? They were they, they they basically wasted a lot of time. They uh, they hated uh, that sewer movement because we used it again. But but because you know Bob and I were familiar with it that way, and now I'm opposing Bob. I did set up a whole bunch of like squads and half squads in all the sewer locations, actually hoping right. that he would be forced to come up, because then you get like a four down two or down whatever shot, and if you break in a sewer, that's just like KIA. And I think I did on one yeah. occasion get lucky and kill one of his squads, and I think that gave you a bad taste in your mouth. Well, I've played sewer movement before and not been lucky enough to come up at a decent enough spot or with anything left. So. Yeah, <clears throat> it's tricky, especially on a big well, building. This, attack, I never had enough squads. Could, uh, Say again, Dan? With this, with this particular strategy, uh, the Russians have to come out of the factories and cross, like, two streets to get to where they want to go to fight for the stuff. So you're going to spend, like, three turns down in the sewers, and you, that's asking to get lost. Correct. You know, yeah. it's, uh, you're going to roll something bad somewhere along the line there you either pop up in the middle of a street where you don't want to or turn around and go back the way you came you know and plus i never really yeah. realized his strategy until about the fifth or sixth day anyway i mean it was really toward the end when i realized that you know now i know what he's doing and it was too late really for the russians to do much well i never would have thought of it on my yeah, own i gotta give dan all the credit and yep. reading his article and contacting him uh 
and I'm I'm really glad to have uh, met your acquaintance too, Dan. You're a great guy and a great player and a great advisor. And I think uh, it was fun. I got to say that was, you did a good job uh, of playing the actual game. I mean, I, I had it easy. I mean, I had, you know, if you would have failed, I would have said, you know, I just screwed it up. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you win either way. Yeah, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm in a win-win situation, you know. But uh, you know, you did you did a great job. I mean, you, you changed some stuff that I would have the second day staying inactive and building up a bigger force. Uh, that worked out like a charm because. He tried to set up to stop him from encircling him, and you blew right through it. You know that was that was big. That was key. You were able to do that. Uh, yep. You, you did a good job playing. And Bob, I felt sorry for you because, you know, it's, it's something that you don't expect. You know, and when you get when you caught into something where you, you walked into a trap, basically, you did a good job as as good a job as you could have done. You know, I don't think that anybody would have discerned that not having read the article years ago. No, Richard Statue for being older, I think. <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> we'll go with that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like I said, it was enjoyable, Rich, and uh, I thank you for uh, letting me, you know, follow along, because uh, it's been a long time since I played Red Barricades, and it got me, uh, got me thinking about playing some city fighting stuff again, you know? Get into it. Go for it. We recommend it to uh, all of our listeners. Um are there other campaign games from Red Barricades that anyone... Or is there anything else to add about this particular game? Sounds like we've covered it. I think, I think so. we've covered yeah. it, yeah. Then we have a few minutes left. Let's. Yeah. Is there any other um, campaign games you guys could talk about off the cuff or have played? Or, Dan, we you have an opportunity. Have you played a lot of the other ga- campaign games in Red Barricades? In Red Barricades? No, I haven't played. The only one I played was Campaign Game 3. I played it at the, the Russians once. Um... And like I said, I had one of the most memorable ASL experiences was launching a, I think it was like between 80 and 90 squad human wave attack after I ran two companies in the sewers underneath the German lines and I dropped two Katusha barrages on the German front lines and then had everybody pop out of the sewers behind them and launched the human wave. And it was just... It was it was weird. It was a weird experience, like playing the night rules like that. You know, because when you play the night rules in these campaign games, it can be daunting, to say the least. You know, because you have so many squads on the board. It's not like you're playing a normal night scenario, which normally is like five squads for each side. You know, I mean, here one guy's got eighty and the other guy's got sixty-five or something like that. You know, you know, tons of no-move counters and cloaking counters are flying all over the place. Yeah, I never got that opportunity. But, uh, well, neither one of us bought the rockets that he's talking about. Those are very devastating, like 200 millimeter. Mm-hmm. But neither one of us had the courage to buy those because they're they're not that expensive, and you're really tempted to buy them, both as the German Aren't and the they Russian. They're a little inaccurate. They're they're very inaccurate. inaccurate. You can add a point to it and get a pre-registered hex, and that that knocks yep. down the That's inaccuracy the do by half. But even then, it's like, ugh, do you really want that thing to be either go onto your own guys or 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 miss? And you know, miss and hit the wrong section. It's just you, you just don't want to waste any points at all. You just want to spend your points wisely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. Like if you got an area where you can put it down, like with a sneaky line of sight behind the guy's front lines, and he's got stuff, you know, built up around it on both sides of it, and you don't care which direction it scatters, then it's it's nice. But you know, like Rich said, if you if you, you want to 
conserve your CPPs to spend on things that are actually going to be useful right away. You know, you don't want to take a chance on something 200 millimeters coming back on your head. The other, but, th uh, the other I thing really is, play you that much other red barricades. I've been, you know, I play uh, mostly PTO stuff, so I did the, uh, you know, stuff with the PTO more than I've done East Front stuff. You know, I'm not a big East Front guy. I haven't uh, really jumped into it. To me, it's all very samey. You know, it's either a village fight or a city fight. You know, there's not really much. Unless you play a curse scenario like Pete Schelling's doing at uh, Ponyuri. Uh -huh. That looks pretty interesting because it's got like a lot of open ground to it. So that might be, that interests me more than, you know, the normal East Front stuff. I was, I'm a PTO guy. That's my first love in ASL. Yeah, the caves and the pillboxes and all that good stuff, huh? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's my uh, that's my bread and butter. I, I I grew up loving that stuff, and you know, like I said, when ASL was squad leader and they were just about to do the Japanese, and they decided to switch to ASL, I was like suicidal for about eight weeks. Yeah, that set you back <laughs> and, uh, a couple years on that, many years. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I love the PTO but, too. But uh, um, so the, as far as campaign games, Dan. So then, have you done some of the terrible ones that we've? Talk yeah, about. I played the Tarawa one. That was that was a that was a great experience. I got uh, I got rolled on that. I was the Japanese, and uh, hmm. I think I broke twenty seven guns on my first shot. With, <laughs> with, with, with the wow. two big guns, and, you know those uh, the, what are they, the Singapore guns or whatever they were. Yeah, that sit yeah. in the back corner there, and yeah, I broke both of them on the first shot. Wow. Yeah, both of them went down on the first shot, and I sixed them on their repair rolls. Remember that. I want and, to play uh, against you. <laughs> yeah. What's that? I want to play against you. Yeah, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm real good. But, you know, the thing is, on the other hand, like, I, I can roll twos. Like, I can get on a string where I'll roll, like, seven twos in a row. You know, <laughs> no, you don't want to play him. No, I don't want to play him. One, you know? he, he's like uh, Will Forg, if he can do that. Yeah, those are yeah, four like, kind of rules. I'm like a, a savant with rolling twos, but as I say, it, it always balances out. I'll roll my set of sixes and twelves on repair rolls and, and morale checks. You know, you're so. a man of extremes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I never roll sevens. You know, it's, uh, I never met a seven I ever rolled. But uh, <laughs> and i you know, of course, I've been doing the, the non-play test for years, so that's like you know, it's a campaign game. I played that a couple of times now. And uh, I did that. I did. Uh, I've been trying to fool around with, with the campaign game for Kakazoo Rich for years, but I just haven't uh, haven't found a way to get it to click yet. You know, it's such a short period of time. Um, I'm looking now at the way Carl did the uh, the non campaign game, trying to do that for Kakazoo Rich. Maybe go back and trying to shoehorn something in there and see if, how that can work. But uh, People have been asking me to do that for years, and I just, like I said, I don't really have anybody to play with that regularly, so. Well, move to Illinois, Dan. We'll be glad to have you yeah. here. Move on over here. If you're wealthy enough to live in New Jersey, yeah. you're wealthy enough to live in Illinois. <laughs> they're building, yeah, they're building a new house just three doors down here from Jeff's house. We noticed that it's for sale. Oh, okay. What's that go for? Like one point two million? You could just uh, you could just you could even dig a tunnel into his house, and you could do you could <laughs> in the advanced phase you could advance up from the tunnel concealed into Jeff's basement. 
that's, that's what I do, but it, I keep coming down the chimney. <laughs> oh, no, it's it's not over a million. It's less than a million, I'm sure. Uh, no, that's a big so. one, man. Yeah. Oh, you think so? Oh, it was a big it's, one? It's probably It's big. I'm looking wow. at the little... You know, they're tearing yeah, down all this... my wife, I mean, you know... Yeah. I don't really need a big one. I'm looking for a hobble. That'll be over my neighborhood. PTO hut. PTO yeah. kind of hut kind of thing. In Illinois? Yeah. <laughs> the winter would probably be a bit tough, but my wife's looking to move someplace warmer. Oh. Uh, oh, yeah, it's warmer here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For yeah, sure. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure. It's one thing you guys got that, you know, I'm, I'm up on top of a mountain here. Well, it's a hell to you guys out there, but it's like, you know, up here it's the second highest point in the state. So we tend to have like this, we get like ice comes on the ground in, I'd say the first week in November. And, you know, it doesn't leave until the second week in May. So we, we spend a, you know, a goodly portion of the year iced in up here. And uh, like right now we've got about two feet of ice on the ground and, you can't like walk anywhere except where it's been chiseled away down to the ground. Wow! So does that mean but, you can't do one half movement point on the roads? Because um, <laughs> the roads they keep plowed up here. Amazingly enough, I mean they're very good with that. But uh, you can careen around at like seventy miles an hour on the roads. But you know if you if you touch the side of them, you're spinning to your death. <laughs> wow! You know, so. But uh, my, my wife's looking to get out of here. She wants to go somewhere else and. Uh, I don't know whether we will or not, you know, but I'm going to tell her some of the, there's an ASL packet that we can, like, move into, you know. I, I don't know how many signs. I think we're going to have to open up an ASL retirement home. That hey, sounds I'll good. go along with that. That sounds good. I know you would get a lot of interest um, in that, so I pursue that. Yeah, yeah. You know, two half squads, retirement village. Yeah. Yeah. So instead Why of having not? a golf course, you have, like, a big room with just tables. It's got a ring to it. And all the yeah. all the board It's cheaper than a golf course. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Much cheaper than a golf course. All right. We'll get to work yeah. on that. We'll get to work on that and we'll let you know. And we'll call this a show. We'll sign off then. Thanks. So. We really okay, appreciate guys, you taking the time to join us. Thanks, yeah. Rich. Thanks, Bob. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. And thank you, listeners, for listening. And if you have any questions, just send us email. We'll forward it along to Dan and, to Dan and Rich and Bob. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and so we'll remind everyone to uh, roll low and rally well, but, but not when, when you're, you're playing, playing us. <laughs> Bye, bye everyone. Bye, everybody. Good night, guys. Good night. So, Dan, we're going to do another show. Yeah, are you still with us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we're going to do another show, and, uh, you know, if you want to join us, you certainly are welcome to. We're going to do probably uh, just some banter and a quiz show, and I don't know what else. Do we know what else? It might be, um, uh, what, what do we say? What did we say? Um, we might do a show. What's in the Box. I don't know. You're going to have Bob talk about himself? Oh, yeah, and yeah, an yeah, interview with Bob Brown. That won't take but two seconds. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to learn all about Bob Brown. 
So if you'd like to join us, we can oh, call you around. back. Oh, hang around. I got nothing else going on. Okay. okay. We're going to hang this one up. Yeah, one of those retired guys. And uh, save the file, and we'll call you yeah. back in just a couple minutes. Okay. All right, bye.